What's good, everyone? This is Raphael Garcia, and I'm here with Shawan Humes for episode 108 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is January 10th, 2019, and as I said, it was episode 108, and yeah, thank you for joining us on this Thursday evening. Shawan, why don't you say hello to the people and let them know how you're doing? Hey, guys. Glad to be back for another episode of the of our, our long-running podcast. It's a project of passion we do for you guys because we love you guys correct correct and we got quite a bit of passion to talk about today um it is a quiet mma weekend meaning we do not have a fight card this weekend but there's still a couple of things to talk about because there's still some um, intriguing stuff going on in the sport so yeah let's kind of go ahead and jump right on in because i want to Talk about some new fight announcements. Talk about some developments that are going on. And uh, and I want to start with the one and only fight announcement between Tyron Woodley and Kamaru Usman. Now, for those who are unaware, this has been a story that's kind of been brewing over the last couple of years. And the reason why I say that is because it doesn't just involve Usman and Woodley. It also involves a third dance partner who goes by the name of Kobe Covington. And basically... To cut a long story short, Covington, well, Woodley is the current UFC welterweight champion. He was supposed to fight uh, Kobe Covington, but could not do so because of a shoulder injury. They inserted Rafael Dos Anjos into an interim title fight. Kobe Covington won, so now he's the interim title champion. You would expect that to mean he would be the next guy to get a crack at the shot uh, at the title. But unfortunately, he was too injured to uh, face Woodley at the time when Woodley was ready. So that's when Darren Till came down and got himself submitted by uh, Tyron Woodley at the end of last year. Now we're at a situation where the UFC has been trying to get Covington and Woodley in the cage together. uh, And that has not happened. uh, Covington recently declined a fight. The UFC claims he declined it. He says he did not. But the organization decided to leapfrog him. And they went with the Nigerian nightmare. And Kamar Usman is now the man who's getting the title shot at UFC 235 at 170 pounds. So there's quite a bit to break down from there. We got a couple of different things to talk about with that. But first and foremost, Swan, I want you to do your thing and break down this fight here because I know you've been talking about it a lot on Twitter. You've been talking about it a lot um, on the show for the last couple of weeks. Break this fight down. Let me know what you think is going to occur when these two guys meet in the cage. Well, if, I, if I'm Tyron, I'm a little upset because Covington's the easier fight. He's a more lucrative fight, and he's easier because Covington applies pressure. He uses physicality. He's not really good on the feet. He doesn't have really good defense. It basically sets the table for Tyron to use that pot shot, counter-punching style he uses to blow guys out who aren't really good at managing distance or managing defensive maneuvers. Usman, Usman is, is a more natural striker than Covington. And the biggest issue is he's a much better athlete than Covington. He might be a much better athlete than, than Tyron Woodley at this point. And even though even though he's a little he's a little how he strikes predictable, the fact of the matter is he does pay attention to detail. He shows some voice. He fights in a pace he can maintain or build on. You're breaking up a little bit. You're breaking up a little bit. Sorry, he's very careful in how he distributes his strikes. So he's not going to give the openings that Woodley's used to getting from other guys, and he's not going to be as hesitant or fearful of Woodley's explosiveness and his foot speed as other guys are, because he's comparable as far as the athleticism. And he's, if not a better wrestler, at least on the level of Woodley, but Woodley hasn't really wrestled anybody in years. So this is really a tougher matchup for Woodley, and I'd be a little concerned. This might be, this might be the end of his reign, because this is the guy who can match him in all the areas that he usually excels in. So let's talk about this in a couple of different ways here. One, why do you, what do you think has occurred that makes Covington the bigger draw? What evidence have you seen that he is the bigger draw? I don't know that he's like a legitimate draw, but he's somebody who draws some kind of interest and they've kind of built up the storyline over the better part of the past, what, year and a half, two years? Ever since Covington started making his rise, he's been calling out Woodley. He's been bringing Woodley's 
name of in constant interviews. I mean, Usman really wasn't considered a title contender, not by performance or by his mic skills. And over the, like I said, over the past two years, they've been building towards a, a Woodley Covington fight. So that fight has some legs. That fight has fans familiar with the situation. It's been built up over a period of time. In my opinion, it has a much more likely, it's much more likely to sell than Usman Woodley, which really doesn't have any, any sort of fan interest built up into it or a storyline to support it. Because Usman has just been considered a title contender in the last, what, three to six months, maybe? Maybe you're correct. So, so I, once again, Covington's not a big star, but you want somebody who can... Woodley's not going to say a lot of interesting things. He's just not that charismatic in that manner. You need somebody who you can play off of. Covington's a guy you can play off of. He'll say something outrageous. He'll say something crazy. He'll call someone out. He'll make some kind of... He'll, he'll cut a promo. Usman's not going to cut a promo. That's not Tyron Woodley's style either. So who's going to be the guy to help build those pay-per-view sales? Who's going to be the guy to say something kind of interesting that might get the fans' attention? Who's got any sort of attention on them from casual and hardcore fans? Covington. Usman and Woodley have been proven that, that they don't draw interest. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, while some people may not be fans of his antics and fans of the things that he does and, and says, uh, he is someone that has grown to become an interesting draw. Uh, and I don't want to say a draw, just an interesting character in the sport. So it'll be intriguing to see what happens to him in the future because you see that he's talking about supposedly a Darren Till fight, even though his manager is saying otherwise. We'll come back to that in a second. But before we go over that, I want to talk about Usman because do you think it's, it's interesting watching him and Willie go back and forth on Twitter because Willie's going out of his way to call him everything else close to an Uncle Tom, close to a Bojangler. He's going out of his way to call him everything else but that without quite saying that. So do you think him, him being Usman, staying active and uh, kowtowing to the UFC's kind of aggressive schedule do you think that that continues if he becomes champion, or will we see him take a step back and look out for Usman first and everything else second? Um, I, I really don't know. I mean, guys talk. I mean, historically, as we've seen in boxing and mixed martial arts, guys talk one way on the way to the title. Then once they get the title, their whole perspective on what they should do, who they should fight, how often they should fight, what they get paid, what they should get paid, changes dramatically. Um, Conor McGregor is a little bit different after he won the title. Rose Namajunas was a little bit different after she got the title. Tyron Woodley has probably been the closest guy because he he kind of sat out and waited for his shot. But even you know he said he wants to defend the title and he did, but he wasn't calling out the next contender. He was calling out a big name fighter, and that's what everybody does. They say they'll fight anybody, then they get the belt, and all of a sudden they they want super fights, they want name fights, they want money fights. So uh, I'd have to assume that Usman would follow suit. I mean. Look at Henry Cejudo. He won it. He called out T.J. Dillashaw. He wasn't even trying to defend the title in his own division. So it's, it's just a trend now. I assume Usman, if he won, would start calling, looking for super fights or looking for big money fights as soon as possible. So you think he'll kind of change up his narrative and go out to go out, go back, or not, not going to say go back, but he'll take a stance where he'll be looking out for number one first rather than doing what the promotion yeah. needs him to do. It's a, it's a thing that plagues all combat sports because in other sports, if other guys benefit, you also benefit. If that other wide receiver gets paid, you get paid. If they pay this second round draft pick this much, that means you might possibly get paid this much. In boxing and mixed martial arts, nobody's looking out for the other guy. It's literally what's best for me. And the only time guys think about the division or they think about other people is when they're not in position of power. When they're not getting paid, Fighter pay sucks. As soon as they get paid, they get quiet. When they're not getting a title shot or the division's held up, it's not fair. You're holding up the division. The super fights suck. I would never do this to the fans. Then they get a title fight, and all they want to do is fight retired fighters or fight feet people a division above or a division below them so they can make money. It just changes. and it, I get it because combat sports are very short, and there, it's a high risk in it, but I can't take any fighter at their word anymore. Because every sing, every fighter, no matter how high a character they've had, has changed their tune. As soon as they've gotten to a title shot, 
or gotten into the realm of discussion for a title shot? So I, I totally agree with you there. I, um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially with Covington, because he was talking a lot of mess, not mess, he was talking a lot to, um, he's been talking a lot about how the UFC should cut him, how they should release him, how he's not gonna do what they want him to do. And I wrote a piece about this that should be going up within the next couple of days about um, how he's gonna, his next fight is gonna be in the UFC, regardless of the fact. Because we know how the contracts are, are structured. We know how the situation plays out. No one who, even the Diaz brothers, who have more clout than he, can't flex on the UFC the way that, that they think that they can. So Covington is going to fight in, in the UFC. It'll be at some point in time. He can sit out if he wants to and not get paid, but he's, he's going to fight for that promotion at some point in time. Do you let me think, ask you a question. I, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me go. Do you think that he's going to become a martyr or a increases fan his fan base over this because anybody who tries to stand up to Dana White they become like an anti-hero or cult hero to the to the MMA fan do you think that this will help his perception with the fans who may have turned their back on him I just don't know it's like everybody who's kind of had issues with Dana White has kind of already had a fan base like Tito Ortiz had issues with him but Tito Ortiz was already kind of a celebrity um, who else is that issue? Aldo had issues temporarily, but once again, Aldo's huge in Brazil. He's huge. He's huge to a certain segment of fighters. Um, I can't really think of a whole lot of guys who've had issues with Dana who didn't have some sort of stable foundation and fan base on which to build on. In the case of these guys, they don't. I just don't think they evoke the emotion. They don't evoke it from the casual fan. They don't evoke it from the hardcores. And once again, they don't evoke it from their own community. So it's, it's hard to say that they can build a fan base off of that. There's a lot of people who support them. There's a lot of people who respect what they do, but there's not enough people who are willing to put down their money specifically for them. And that's where all this gets lost. And you have to be, it's not when people say, well, I like this guy and I support what he does and he's talking sense. Okay, fine. But are you willing to put your money down on that person's behalf? Are you willing to make sure that show gets a rating? Are you willing to make sure that show gets sales so many pay-per-views? Are you willing to call in, a thousand times and watch a video a million times. Are you willing to do that to get your point home? If you really want that person to get attention, to get paid and have some freedom and be talked to with a certain amount of respect, you have to do what these companies respect, which is generate money. So if all these people aren't willing to sacrifice their hard earned dollars, then they're, they're just, it's not, it shouldn't be necessary, but it's just the way it works. You want your guy to get his, his be respected. You have to put him in a position where he has to be respected and winning's never been enough. It's how much money you generate, especially in combat sports. You can generate a bunch of money. They have to respect them. They have to talk to them at the big boy table. But if you, they can't generate money, they don't ever have to be really respected. They don't ever have to be talked to a certain kind of way because there's no loss if you lose that guy. That guy loses. That guy is out of the sport. Isn't making me money. Doesn't cost me any money. I'm glad to be rid of him. But if you have a fan base that's making you felt financially, they have to respect you. They can only talk so crazy to you. Dana knows who he can pick on. He knows who he can push. You don't talk to Conor McGregor that way. Never talk to Conor McGregor that way. Didn't talk to Ronda that way either. Even though he doesn't like Cyborg, he's very careful in his criticism of Cyborg because Cyborg has a solid fan base. These guys don't. And, and I, I, don't, I, I can't imagine them building up a fan base as a result of this kind of thing. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Okay, last question about this topic before we move on. If you were... Darren Till's in his corner in his management. Who would you have him fight next if he can't get to that title shot that he thinks he deserves? I just don't even know if I'd have him say it. I mean, is moving up to middleweight a, a, a potential option? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Who do you have him fight? And well, middleweight doesn't have any names either. Just given the, the, the way he fought the last fight, I. I don't know who right now. I, I might have him move up to middleweight just because I believe the best part of him gets wasted making weight, which means there's not much left for the actual fight. Even if you have a good game plan, he's not able to execute because his victory was making the weight. So unless they figured out some new kind of way where he can make the weight and make it safely and functionally where he can perform, I don't even know if I keep him at welterweight. It just seems like too much of a risk. He had a very one-sided, embarrassing loss after coming off a 
a split decision win. He barely won against Wonder Boy, missing weight, and then he makes weight and he gets totally crushed. I, I don't know that I keep him at welterweight, and I'm not. I don't know who's a big enough name at middleweight, but a good enough matchup where I can match him and get him an easy win and kind of work him into the division. Maybe uh, what's that? Who's the judo guy who who used to fight? Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, he's an Australian guy. Or maybe like Chris Camozzi or somebody, somebody who's not too risky. But right now, I don't know. I, I don't Chris know. You Camozzi put him in a high profile. Okay. Well, uh, there you go. I don't even know the. I just don't know that you can put him in with a top end welterweight because I don't know if he's going to make weight, much less perform if he does. And you'd have, if you put him in middleweight, you can't put him in with a, a big gun yet because he needs time to acclimate to the weight class to show that he can compete. But right now, I don't, I don't think you can put him in a welterweight fight. You just, you just don't know what you're going to get from him. And if he misses another. He missed his weight by another five pounds again. What, what's that going to do for him? What's that going to do for the professionalism of the UFC? Not, not that it matters nowadays anyways, but I'm just saying. If they were trying to be professional. I mean, uh, there isn't much you can say about the professionalism as it is now. <laughs> it's the only, one with, only, only league where the commissioner literally talks trash about his own, I guess, employees slash independent contractors. Oh, before we get out, I have one question I wanted to ask you. What? Um, Tyron, basically, he's been facing, for the most part, he's faced a lot of, I guess, blowback because he's been calling out racist fans and um, stuff of that nature. But facing someone like Usman, I know, like you said before, he's been kind of tiptoeing around. It's like he's almost calling him a certain kind of black person. And I'm like, how dangerous is that? Like, you know how... Tyron's been kind of tip- tiptoeing around calling Usman and un- Uncle Tom, kind of calling him out. How dangerous is that for him to try that? I mean, that could that, that could turn on him really quickly. Oh, easily. Easily. You know, it, it just, I mean, when you, he's always had the, he's had the advantage against Stephen Thompson. Thompson can't say nothing. Thompson's a clean-cut white guy. He can say nothing about racism or nothing about the issues that Woodley brings up. Woodley can't use that line of attack on Usman. And in fact, it could be perceived as that whole crabs in a bucket thing that they say about large segments of black people. Like, why don't you want this guy to have his shot? That's why, a do you care that he, why do you care that he gets shot? So you want the loud mouth, disrespectful white guy to get paid and get a title shot, but not, not this guy. I mean, this that's is a very, that's a very, very, very good point there. Shawana. I hadn't even thought about that. I'm just saying like, it could get, it could get really, it could get really iffy for him if, if he says the wrong thing. And trust me, even the racist fans will jump all over and he'll have the minority fans and the non-minority fans jumping on him. Even though only one group will really have a concern for it, both groups will find any, the other group will be just looking for something to attack him with. And he might serve himself up if he's not very careful in what he says. Very true. Very careful. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Um, Let's move from one um, African-American champion to another and John Jones, who is now booked to face Anthony Smith. I'm not sure what event that that's scheduled for, but um, Anthony Smith is his next challenger at 205. What do you think about this? And we're going to talk about one of the aspects of this too as well, but is this – a lot of people are calling this a um, a one-sided affair, that it will be a landslide, but I don't quite agree. I think it will be more intriguing than people um, are willing to bet from the start. Yeah, um, I mean, it It makes sense. He's won three in a row. They've been fairly high-profile wins. He beat a former title challenger. He's beat a, a, a legend, and I, I forgot who else he beat on the way up, but it's been three decisive wins, and it's been pretty high-profile. And he, he had the kind of back-and-forth with Jones after Jones won the title. So it makes sense as far as, you know, they need a body, and they need someone who who can at least take what Jones has to offer to make it entertaining in the way that John Fitch versus GSP was entertaining because Fitch just kept on coming. But as far as a technical basis, a strategical basis, athletically, this, this isn't a very competitive fight. And if you're talking about selling selling the fight, only thing that's going to sell it is John Jones. They're just depending on John Jones. They're saying John Jones can sell with anybody or sell a certain amount with anybody. Because Anthony Smith isn't a fan favorite. He's not particularly charismatic and is, is successful. He's been at light heavyweight. He's not really a dynamic fighter either. So, I mean, they're just trying to keep Jones busy until they can find a viable option for him to fight as far as maybe Daniel Cormier again or 
maybe Cain Velasquez or, or whoever else they got coming. They're trying to find a big money fight for him. But in the meantime, he's got to defend his title. And that's basically what they're doing, just keeping him busy. Yeah, I think it's a good move that they keep him busy, especially after the long time that he's had off. Do you think that it's better for him? Well, He, he gets in trouble when he's not busy. That's his thing. Yeah, when he's not busy, he gets in trouble. That's very true. Do you think Maybe that, that's why you stay busy all the time. The, uh, that, I'm not gonna comment. Not you're not gonna you're not gonna make me out myself on this damn show. Don't even, nice try though. Very nice try, sir. Um, almost had him. Almost so. had me. But do you think that that's good for him? Because we see Jones make a lot of strong um, technical leaps during his time off. Will a quick turnaround him hand, uh, hinder his ability to really kind of dive into what Anthony Smith does and pick his party and pick his game apart? I don't think so. I think I think Jones wants to stay active. I think the main thing. I think to be honest, I think Jones is kind of a psychopath when it comes to fighting. I think he's already checked out who's in the top three to five guys, and he's been studying them and he's been working on their plan, working on plans for them. At least having initial blueprints for how he's going to beat them. I think he does that. I think that's what he does in his spare time. I think he's very dedicated. I think he wants to have these wins in succession and in dominant fashion to push the storyline away from the drug use and away from his missteps and back into the category of how dominant he is, how great he is, and how he's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. I think he already had a game plan for Anthony Smith. I think he called out Anthony Smith or made a hint that Anthony Smith might be next for a reason. And even if he's not that dedicated, the simple fact of the matter is Anthony Smith could just catch him, but that's the only way he really beats him. He doesn't have the tools at long range. He doesn't have the tools at close range. He's not as good a grappler. He's not as good as wrestler. He basically has durability, a big heart, and a willingness to take a lot of punishment to get his shots off. And that would be fine if John Jones wasn't the kind of fighter who's as tough as he is. A lot of people get John Jones's brilliance mixed up with the fact that, and they forget that he's a tough fighter. The same way that people see Floyd flashing money and say, oh, if you get in on Floyd, you hit him a couple times, Floyd will fold up. Floyd's tough. And John Jones is tough just because he can do brilliant, fantastic, high IQ things. Doesn't mean that if a fight gets gritty and grimy and he has to break you down or he has to take something to get some, he'll do it. He'll get into a war. He'll get into an all-out battle. He'll go five rounds. He'll do whatever he has to do to impose his will on you. And I just don't think that Anthony Smith is – I don't know what Anthony Smith could do to close the gap between him and Jones technically. I guess it could just come down to a matter of will. But even for it to come down to a matter of will, you have to be good enough technically and strategically to put that guy in spots where you can expose him. And I don't think Anthony Smith is good enough. I don't think his camp is good enough to do that. What are the chances that this fight mirrors the first fight with Alexander Gustafsson? Because a lot of people were saying the same thing back then. I don't think so, because Anthony Smith isn't that kind of guy. He doesn't. He's not heavy on the footwork. He likes to come forward and impose his will and be physical and punish you. The biggest thing that Gustafsson had, the advantage he had in the first fight, was that he was moving around. Jones couldn't find the range. Jones had to work so hard to get into the ranges he wanted, into the spots he wanted. He couldn't transition through ranges like he wanted to because Gustafsson was going away. When he pushed Gustafsson to the fence and he tried to tie him up where most guys would stay on the fence and fight and try to grapple with him or try to land a big shot on him, Gustafsson ran away. So then he wasted all the energy, got hit on the way out as Gustafsson was in the open cage freely moving about. Gustafsson gave up his advantage by trying to walk Jones down and come in and and put pressure on him and break him down with pressure and physicality and volume. That's never going to work. And that's exactly what Anthony Smith's going to do. Anthony Smith does not have the ability to use lateral movement, circular movement, and angles to get away from Jones and, and control the distance and make Jones chase. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. I've scouted him for multiple fighters. That ain't happening. He's going to try to stand his ground or impose his will on Jones and come forward. And if he does that, Jones can stay at range and pick him off and then choose when he wants to get inside, or Jones can hit, come in counter him, tie him up, put him on the ground, and just beat him with an inch of his life. It's just going to come down to how much Smith can take and how hard he's willing to fight to prove that he can beat Jones. That's what's going to determine how the fight goes. But as far as, like I said, as far as skill and the range of skills they have and the different ways they can win the fight, Smith has one way to fight, win the fight. Jones has three to five minimum. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I was on mute. That's a very good point there. That's uh, some very interesting um, thoughts. I didn't think of it that way. I'm still intrigued in seeing the uh, fight, though. 
Say it again. I said I'm still intrigued in seeing this fight just because I like Anthony Smith's story. I like the fact that he's willing to say what's needed to get into the title picture. He's done what's needed to get to get into the title picture. Who else is also trying to do that? You have one Luke Rocco trying to push his way into the title picture as well uh, by saying he's going to move up to 205 and take on John Jones in the near future. Do you buy that? Do you think that Rocco can be a viable contender at 205 pounds? I don't know because he was getting knocked out by guys who weren't big hit. First, he's been stopped multiple times. Secondly, I've seen him rocked and stunned and knocked out by guys who aren't big hitters. Michael Bisping isn't a big hitter. He knocked him out. David Branch is not a big hitter. He had him stumbling, begging for his life. And then Joel Romero just wiped him off the face of the earth. Athletically, Luke Rockhold has the explosiveness, the power, the agility, the balance to to face anybody and to make anybody have issues with him middle, at middleweight or light heavyweight. He's that dynamic of an athlete. The problem is... He's got holes in his game as far as his boxing, his footwork, and his defense, which expo- further highlights his his inability to take large amounts of punishment. Now, hopefully moving up to light heavyweight will make him a little bit more durable physically, but that's not going to eliminate all those problems. He'll, he'll have athletic advantages over guys, but he had athletic advantages over guys at middleweight. It's not going to make up for the lack of defense and for the lack of situational awareness. It constantly gets him hit by guys he sh- who are largely in, in, inferior to him athletically. So I think he can make some headway there. There's lots of guys he can knock out. There's lots of guys he can just outclass. But his defense has historically been so bad and his chin has been so bad that any one of these guys could catch him once and put him away. And, and that's, that's what's, that's what's going to make his fights interesting. He could be winning a fight 98% of the time and then get clipped and that's it. Whole fight's turned around. Yeah, I'm, hoping awesome. the move, I'm hoping the move helps him as far as his durability and his energy levels. But um, until I see it, I, I can't. I can't bet money on it. What do you think about the idea that the weight cut was what was damage, not damaging, but was impeding his chin durability? I think there's some truth to that. I think there's some truth to that. But the problem with that is, after you've been knocked out brutally, or you've been forced to go through some hard-fought rounds in multiple fights, even if you move up and your chin's a little bit better there's a certain amount of damage that's already been done. I mean, when um, Romero knocked him out, it was, it was pretty ugly. You know, when Bisping knocked him out, it was pretty ugly. When Branch had him on skates, that was pretty ugly too. So the damage has been done. That's just not going to disappear overnight. It might make you more rehydrated, a little bit more mass. You can take the shot better, but at a certain point you either can take it or you can't. And Luke Rockhold has just never been one of those fighters who can take a large amount of abuse. Weight class isn't going to change that. Not not a whole lot, if I if that makes any sense. So if you had to be the guy in charge of, of who you book him against first, yeah, at two hundred and five pounds, who you pick? Uh two hundred five. Oh Oving St. Prue is a little bit too dangerous. I might even try if somebody like Corey Anderson might fight Luke Rockhold, because Luke Rockhold's a big enough name. I, I don't know if Corey Anderson would do it because Luke's not Luke's not ranked at light heavyweight, so I don't know how much it does for him, but it would be a name fight that could get him some attention. It'd be the biggest name he's ever fought. Um, it'd be good for Luke because Corey Anderson, he throws a lot of volume, but he's not a power hitter. He's a good athlete, but he's not so dynamic that he can just take you down and ragdoll you left and right. I've never seen him do that to anybody, and he hasn't been fighting the best athletes. And as good as he as busy as he is with his striking, his defense is not always there. You, you can catch him. You, you can put some heat on him, especially if you got a good kicking game, which Luke Rockhold does. He should be able to exploit him at range. And even if Anderson gets to him, Anderson isn't the big enough hitter to just wipe Luke, Luke off the mat with one shot. Luke should still, still have opportunities to tie him up, take, take him down, or re- reset the range and start picking him apart. Or maybe Gian Vellante as well might be a good, good pick, just because he's a little bit bigger hitter. He's a good athlete. But he's so he's so suspect defensively. He's just so suspect defensively, and he's so shallow in his skills and his IQ in, in fights is awful. So loose athleticism and his championship experience might be able to carry him in that fight too. So one of those two might be the best options as far as if he wants to make a dent in the light heavyweight division and start moving forward to possibly challenging Jones. He's gonna have to fight someone who's got some cachet, and those both those guys do. Good. I think it will be interesting to see him at 205. Uh, I 
I'm not prepared to immediately count him in as a um, title challenger in a in a new weight class, but I'm always down for seeing guys try something different and try to revitalize their career. I, I would like, I, and I, I I think it's cool too. I agree with you on that, but I'd also like to see guys actually fix the holes in their game, not just try to move up in their weight class and move down. I know that people say it's for their health. In some cases, it is, but a lot of times, the reason you're losing isn't because of weight. It's it's because the holes in your game plan. And when you move up, you figure I'm going to be quicker, more athletic so that those holes will be less exploitable. And if you move down, you're figuring I'm bigger and stronger so I can take more punishment and that'll mask the holes either. And I'm just like, why don't you try and address the holes? Why don't you try and address the technical holes you have so you're not in those positions? And that way we feel a lot better about you moving up because we know you've improved. I don't know that Luke's improved a whole lot in the past three or four years. I'm not going to argue with you on that because you're the analysis that, that breaks it down. So, um, yeah, I can I can definitely see how you say that. And you're kind of and you're breathing right into the mic, too. So hold it a little bit away from your mouth. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be harsh. I just I got I got to call it like I see it. And he, he's been the same guy for a little while. He's losing the same ways. Poor boxing defense every single time. He's getting hurt the same ways and he's winning the same way. So until and. And that'll still work at light heavyweight. It's the thin division. But once again, with that size difference, you can't take anything for granted. Um, I just forgot. You know, I used to have like the, the I had a lot of expectations for Rockhold when he came over from from Strike Force, and he. It's been interesting. I want don't want to say he hasn't lived up to him them, but he struggled in ways that I, I didn't foresee coming. I thought he was going to be. The only guy from Strike Force to really come over and make monumental waves, and he did. Um, but he's he's definitely struggled since since day one. Yeah, he he never. People said, I mean, he like I said, him and Weidman were supposed to be the new guard, and even though they had some impressive wins, once you started seeing them face guys who were comparable level athleticism or who could match their physical tools, you just start seeing like these guys aren't as good as I thought they were. Like, how is this, you know? In Weidman's case against Gastelum, how is this fight this competitive? Like, what are you doing, man? And then when you see you saw Rockhold against you saw Rockhold against Branch, or you saw him against Bisping the second time, you're just like, this shouldn't be happening. You're supposed to be like the apex predator in this division, and you're going you're going life and death with guys who can't punch you or second or third tier light heavyweight, like excuse me, second or third tier middleweight. How is this happening? So it is this. He's shown flashes, but he hasn't shown the consistency or the effectiveness that you would expect from a guy who had his kind of accolades and, and height coming over from Strike Force. He was supposed to be that guy. Definitely was supposed to be that guy. Um, let's talk about some of the other fights that were announced because it wasn't really a whole bunch of news uh, that came out this week, but there's a, the fight between Michelle Watson and Carolina Kowalskowicz for UFC on ESPN2. And you think that Carolina has the path to really get a big win here. Break that down for me and tell me why. Well, first of all, Carolina, Michelle Waterson isn't even in the top three of most difficult opponents that Carolina Kovacavich has faced. She'd be four or five at best. Carolina is the best fighter that Michelle Waterson will have fought in the UFC since she's been here. They've really moved her appropriately. They fought, they fought, fought her against girls who have some athleticism. Well, she some... fought the champion. So you think that Carolina is better than a uh, champion? Michelle Watterson hasn't fought the champion. She fought Rose Namajunas. Yes, she did. Oh, excuse me. Yes, she did. She got, I mean, if you can call that, that was more like an assault, dude. That wasn't really a fight. <laughs> yeah, she got, she got dropped and she got uh, choked out. I will take, you know what? You correct me on that and you're right. Then Carolina will be the second best person she has fought. And I guess, in a sense, you could say Carolina's the first because Carolina's beat Rose, whereas Michelle Waterson did not. So, Correct. I'll give you that. She's the second best. But the thing about it is, Carolina, for the most part, Michelle's fought these girls who have athletic ability and some skill, but they're girls with bad IQ. She fought Paige Van Sant. Paige Van Sant fought the total opposite way that she usually fights for success. She was trying to fight Michelle Waterson at range. Paige Van Sant is a terrible range fighter. That was dumb. And her team let her fight like that. They're dumb. Tisha Torres used to be a contender, but her new camps got her fighting the most ridiculous game. Just dumb. Just makes no sense. 
in the approach, in the counters, in the adjustments, it is just awful. She's paying coaches and striking coaches and grappling coaches to ruin her career. That's what she's paying them to do. They say they're helping her. They're not. They're hurting her. And she fought Courtney Casey, who has the worst IQ in WMMA. The worst. She's the only fighter who is big, who's like a national level athlete, top in size, athleticism, explosiveness, who when you take her down, instead of getting back up, will sit there and try and get you with arm bars and triangles and literally lose rounds because she's laying on her back trying to finish you when she is not even close. Just ridiculous. So they fought, they had Michelle facing these girls who had two physical tools, but did not have the mental game. And for somebody with Michelle's pedigree, she's a former world champion. She's been in this game for what, 10, 12 years. She's, you know, she's competed in different combat sports. She's competed at the highest level of this sport. She could exploit these girls' lack of IQ. She could exploit their lack of poise. She could exploit their lack of variety in how they fight. Against Carolina Kovacavich, Carolina's, once again, inexperienced. But the thing is, Carolina fights true to her type. And she generally doesn't lose when she does so. Carolina likes to apply pressure. She likes to be physical. She likes to get her hands on girls and break them down and overwhelm them, overwhelm them with volume and break them down with physicality, size, and physical strength. That's what she's going to do against Michelle. She's not going to stand outside and, and box Michelle and kickbox with Michelle. She's, she's not going to make it a cute and slow-paced fight. She's not going to give up positions and let Michelle have those positions. Michelle's going to have to fight for everything she has. And she's going to be fighting somebody who's bigger, stronger, more physical. She's not going to control her on the ground like she did Tisha Torres. She's not going to have her lay on her back looking for submissions like Case, Courtney Casey did. And she's not going to have somebody who's going to stand in front of her and let her kick at them and strike at them like Paige Van Zandt did. She's going to have to really fight for this. And I don't believe that Michelle Watterson has the durability nor the power to keep Kovacavich off of her. Now, she, she could use movement. She could use her lead leg. She's got that TMA background. But it would require her to fight a perfect fight that I don't think she's capable of fighting anymore. She's not at her athletic peak anymore, which means she's a step slower. She's never taken the best shot. And once again, she does not hit awfully hard. And she's not all that great defensively against a volume striker who's physical and wants to get her hands on you. And she's taking shots from the biggest hitters in the division and for the most part held up. It, it's really a bad matchup on a lot of levels. Claudia Gadelia couldn't scare her off. Rose, Rose Nam Yunus couldn't scare her off. She walked her down. And Andrade knocked her out, but Andrade landed like six or seven of the heaviest right hands you'll ever see in her life. Any one of those would have knocked Michelle Watterson out. It took her almost five or six in a row before she took out Kovacavich. Claudia so, Gadelia submitted her, though. Huh? Yeah, she did submit her, but Michelle Watterson's... Round. Michelle Watterson is not that not as good a grappler. Michelle Watterson is not as good a wrestler. If Michelle Watterson just comes out and takes takes Kovacavich down like that and can hold her down and finish her, I'll be surprised. I'll give her all the credit in the world. I haven't seen her be able to do that. She had a hard time holding Tisha Torres down. She had a I hard mean, time Tisha holding Torres Courtney Casey down. Dynamo, though. I'm, I'm not, I can't hold Tisha Torres down. But True enough. True enough. But if you're having a hard, hard time doing that, Kovacavich fights at a higher pace and is more physical than Torres. So let, let's 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 break this down a little bit more here because what I what I think is interesting is that I feel like Kovalkiewicz is in a position like um, kind of like Claudelia is, where she isn't anywhere near a a title shot at any point in time in the future. Even before she lost to Andrade, she was winning. Uh, she had one two fights straight before getting a smoke. But I, I don't think that she's on the path to getting another title shot in the near future. Um, I think that this is a fight that, that the UFC would love to have Michelle win because they would they would love to put her front and foremost. In the, um, oh, it is. It's, a, it's the best matchup she has for winning a title fight because technically she's a better striker than Kovacavich. If you want to go by technique, she should be a better grappler. But the biggest problem I have with Michelle is she's really an atom weight. And her yeah. issues with her issues with physicality keep showing up repeatedly in these fights. So let me ask this: Do you think they'll ever bring the one? I don't. I don't think they will. Do you think they'll ever bring the one hundred and five pound division in for her? I I think they I think they've been considering it. I, I if she was younger, I would say definitely there would be at one forty. They're going to get rid of featherweight. Why not bring in Adam Weight? There's better fighters. They can get world class fighters off from all over 
It's a deeper division. It'd be, it, it instantly would be the second best women's division in the UFC automatically, if not the first one. It just has more women in it, and a lot of girls would drop the fight in it. <clears throat> you think so? I just think I'm the like, UFC... I, like right now, I, I, like strawweight is one of my favorite divisions right now just because I, I think that they put on some damn good fights. They do, but certain girls are at a, like Carla Sparza is at a severe disadvantage. She's a wrestler type, but a lot of girls who aren't as good a wrestler as her can defend her takedowns because they're so much bigger and stronger. They've got decent wrestling, but when she's giving up 10 to 15, 20 pounds, they can just power out of stuff. They can get the underhooks and pull her up. Even if she's in on their hips, they can power her off. Angela Hill's another one. She can hit hard enough because she's so athletic and explosive, but she can't, t- she can't catch. And when they start hitting her back, she starts getting broken down real quick. It's the same thing with um, Michelle Watterson. You saw what happened when, when Rose kicked her. I thought, she, I thought the fight was over right there. Rose did whatever she wanted to her as soon as she got her hands on her, whatever she wanted to her. And, and that shouldn't, when you're at that kind of physical disadvantage, it makes it very hard for you to fight elite people. And the biggest problem I have, I think they've moved Michelle very well. She's faced elite athleticism, but she's faced girls who don't have established identities. Tisha Torres used to have one. She doesn't have one anymore. Paige Van Zandt was in an identity crisis. She was fighting differently. You got Courtney Casey, who can't decide how she wants to fight. One fight, she wants to be a volume puncher. Next fight, she wants to lay on her back and, and look for submissions. And even that fight was close. The thing about Michelle Watterson is, if she wins this fight, it justifies them moving her up. But they could have given her Suarez. But why, why didn't they give her Suarez? Suarez is huge, and she's a wrestler. There's no way she wins that fight. They could have given her Joanna. Joanna's huge. They're, and Joanna's a better striker. There's no way she wins that fight. They could have given her Gedalia. Gedalia would have stomped her. They could have put her in with An- Ansaroff. They could have set that up for later, but they didn't because Ansaroff is bigger, hits harder, and takes a better shot. So they're trying to give her the safest fight possible, which would be Kovacavich over a highly ranked fighter. Kovacavich is just is trying to, they're trying to use her as a stepping stone. I just don't know that Watterson can handle the activity and the physicality of Kovacavich. I've never seen Kovacavich get tired. I haven't really ever seen her get scared off by getting punched or hit. I mean, even when Andrade hit her, she kept on coming. Had she backed off, she might not have gotten knocked out, but she kept on coming. I don't know that Watterson has the power to scare her off. I don't think Watterson has the power to stop her. So if she can't stop her on the feet or scare her off, how is she going to keep maintaining that distance and working the angle she needs to get the strikes off and to keep from being taken down or keep from being overwhelmed? I don't know. But this is the best time to fight Kovacavich because she's coming off of a huge KO loss. But if you look at the fight, you take the KO out, it's like, eh, this isn't this isn't really this fight for her. Just based off of physicality and activity. It's just not a good fight for her. Can she win it? I believe she can. But is it likely she wins it? She had the fight close to a perfect fight. She had problems with Angela Magana. Angela Magana gave her some problems. It's not a good sign. And Angela Magana gave her problems because of the size and size and strength advantage. Nothing to do with skill. Strictly size and size size and um strength advantage. And Carolina's going to have that. And we've seen Carolina win against lead opponents. I haven't seen Michelle Watterson beat someone elite yet. She's been the second and third third tier fighters in the division. This is going to be her second crack at a elite in quotations fighter. So if she beats her, then she'll be elite in the, I guess, most feasible way possible. But I can't see Michelle beating Andrade. I can't see her beating Suarez. I can't see her beating Jen Jadrick. I can't even see her beating Gadelia at this point. So, I mean, they're, they're trying to prop her up for a title fight. This is, the best, this is the best route they got. I don't think that Watterson would get past Felice Herrick, to be honest. She already did. Oh, there you go. I didn't she think, excuse beat, me. She doesn't beat Felice. That's, 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 you're right. I didn't think she would get past her, and she did. But once again, Felice fought a really dumb fight. Felice has been fighting real stupid. I mean, she lost the split decision <clears throat> to uh, Carolina, too. Felice did. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I think, I think there's avenues for her to beat her. But I think Carolina has the fight, would have to fight a dumb fight as far as kickboxing at range with Michelle, which she's never done. And I think that she'd have to, Michelle would have to fight close to a perfect fight because I just don't think Michelle's defense is there. Too many girls have gotten her in bad positions. Torres got her in bad positions. Courtney Casey got her in bad positions. Um, Paige Van Zandt didn't really have a chance to. Even Felice Herrick had some opportunities to put her in bad positions. But they just weren't physical enough and they weren't active enough. And there's two things you can depend on for Carolina. She will always be physical. She will always be active. Unless she's been mentally changed by this knockout 
if she's the same girl she fought before, I don't see how she doesn't put Michelle Watterson in a bad spot. And when she does, I don't see how she doesn't compound it. Maybe she won't finish her, but I don't see how she doesn't punish her severely for any for, for any mistake she makes or any bad spot she ends up in. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's I don't know why it just jumped off the page as a very interesting fight uh, fight to me. Um, the other fight that was announced was with Thomas Almeida and Marlon Vera. This is interesting to me because Thomas Almeida was supposed to be that guy. He was supposed to be a guy coming up until Cody Garbrandt got his hands on him. Talk to me about this fight here and Thomas Almeida as a fighter himself because he hasn't looked like the guy that everybody thought he was supposed to be. He just, he's like, he's almost, he's like a resilient Cody Garbrandt. He just, he doesn't have, his chin is suspect. <clears throat> great offensive skills, great offensive athletic ability. It should, if you, if you just go off that, he should be a perennial contender. But he just can't pitch the same. He can't catch the same way he pitches. Same problem Garbrandt has. Hits like a truck, but can't take a truck hitting him back. And Almeida, so much of his fighting style is based off aggression, and is based off him and imposing his will, and it's based off people being fearful of what he's going to do to them. But once guys started realizing that if you can make it through the storm and put some shots on him, he's not nearly as dangerous. He's not. He's not. He's not nearly as risky a fighter to face. Once that fear factor left, his his ability to be truly effective and dominant just disappeared, and um, I I just don't know if he can ever regain that back. It's not that he can't knock anybody out at any particular second. It's just guys aren't fearful of it anymore. Guys know that you can take his shots. Guys know that if you can find the right spots, you can put him on, put him on skates. And it's not that people didn't know that before, but once guys see it, once that veil of invincibility has been pierced, how people fight you changes. And if you're used to guys being intimidating, you're used to guys being defensive, and all of a sudden they're not afraid to punch with you, and all of a sudden they're trying to impose their will, and you don't have a certain amount of defense, which he doesn't, all his defense is based off the fact that guys are scared of being countered by his offense. So now once guys aren't as scared or fearful, you have to defend a lot more, you have to you get pressured a lot more, you have to work a lot harder. And uh, for a guy like him, a lot of his defense and a lot of his accuracy on his offense falls apart. So he's always dangerous. He could always be a top three, top five guy, but his his lack of defensive awareness and discipline and his lack of physical durability is just gonna it's gonna keep costing him at the highest levels. It's already cost him before and I I have to believe it's gonna cost him moving forward. There's just too many guys who can hit, take hits, and are just more disciplined strikers than he is. And what's interesting is if you look at his record, you know, he had the he had the loss to Cody Garbrandt, which is a KO. Then he defeated Albert Morales to be a TKO. And since then, he's fought big hitters and Jimmy Jimmy Rivera and Rob Font, and both of those did not go well for him at all. Nope. I mean, he's the one who he's the one who basically made Cody Garbrandt into Cody Garbrandt. Cody didn't look great in in a couple fights before, but when he wiped Almeida off the face of the planet, people were like, "He's the real deal. He's the guy." That's one. That's basically one of the fights that really made people think that he was a legitimate title contender because he just devastated this guy so quickly. And the funny thing is, had that guy landed one one hard shot on Cody, Cody might not be the guy who he he ended up being in the first place because it, it's been shown it doesn't take a killer punch to put him out either. It just when you're used to guys fighting you a certain way and you're used to having that feeling of being invincible and blowing guys out, once that gets changed or once that's been taken away. And you're not you're not allowed to fight at the pace you want or the range you want because guys are no longer scared. It forces you to go deeper into your bag of skills. And if you don't have a deeper bag of skills, you're just going to get exposed again and again and again. You have to have a plan B. And he doesn't have a plan B, much less a, a well-structured and defined plan B. So once guys get past plan A, he, he's got nothing else. It's just heart and aggression. And, and unfortunately, that's not enough to carry you against elite-level athleticism or elite level skill. And there's too many guys in that division who have athleticism and skill and durability for him to just think that whatever he's done, he's gotten by doing before is going to work. It, it's just not there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm always looking forward to kind of, I was, I was really intrigued in Thomas Almeida, even after he dropped that fight to um, Cody Garbrandt. So let's see what happens with, uh, this fight here. Um, the scary, the scary thing is, with all his ability, it like like Garbrandt, he just had. It's like he's regressed. 
He hasn't gotten better, but it's almost like he's regressing. He's got all the physical tools. There's no reason a guy with his physical school tools shouldn't have answers for whatever situation you put in him. But he hasn't had them because he, because it, it seems like he's always all the fights he's been in, he's been able to have his way in it, and now he's not able to have his way, and he doesn't know how to react to it. So it's almost like that fight with Garbrandt and some of these other fights kind of exposed who he really is. When you get him past a certain point, he is not the guy he was at the beginning of the fight. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of see when guys get exposed and what really kind of happens to them after that and when others try to adjust to that style. Um, what else are you looking forward to that, to that came out this week? There wasn't a whole bunch of breaking news because, like I said, it's been a lull. We're back to action next week. But what else has, have you been kind of been watching and keeping a close eye on? I thought it was funny how I think somebody on Twitter said it's breaking news that John Jones was clean on his drug test. I just thought that was really funny. Like, wow, is this the level we've gotten to now where just being clean is breaking news? It's, it's just funny to me. Um, I don't yeah, have I a lot of that too. I don't have a lot of things that the thing that the thing that always interests me, no matter what period of time we're in with the UFC is two things one dana white's control over mixed martial arts it's it's very interesting how this guy who does not have a fighting background didn't coach fires he just gets to say what he wants and do what he wants so freely and people just cave into it and people just cater to it until they don't get what they want in which case then they start saying the same thing everybody else says about dana but by that time it's too late it's funny seeing fighters constantly fall into the trap of Dana's cool. He's on my side. And then you piss him off. You don't take a fight. You refuse a fight. You get injured before a fight. And all of a sudden, he turns a, he, he turns his sights on you. And then instantly, guys see what it's like to be outside of Dana's good graces. And they see how hard it makes your career. And they see how hard it impacts you as far as sponsorships and potential money you can make. And guys fall for that trap every single year they fall for it. Me and Dana are cool. Dana really cares about the sport. But a year later, you know, he's in my way. He's he's controlling. He's he's taking away title shots for me. I just want a fair opportunity. Dana never supported me. And it's like, y'all fall for this every every year. Y'all fall for this. Nobody ever learns a lesson from it. And the last thing is the constant the constant struggle with the fighters about getting better pay and better opportunities is very frustrating for me to see fighters because fighters get on fans for not fighting the battle for them. But fighters never want to put put their neck on the line. They just never want to put their neck on the line. Nobody signed the little the project spearhead cards for Leslie Smith. Nobody wants to speak out on Dana or the UFC or MMA managers until they get into a better position. Everybody wants to talk about money until they get theirs and then it screw everybody else. It's just so funny that they want fans to get upset over something that they don't care enough about to take action on. You want it's like it's like if my kid failed a class and then she wants me to be upset and go talk to her teacher. You had nine weeks to get this passing grade so you didn't want to work it all for nine weeks but now you want me to go in there and plead your case for a grade no dude i'm not fighting harder than you're fighting if you don't want to fight for it why you got me out here fighting why you got to go out here and spend money and spend time to get to get you a passing grade when you had nine weeks to find a passing grade for yourself that's how it feels with fighters they 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 complain to fans they complain to news outlets but nobody's willing to take a stand nobody's willing to put their their money where their mouth is nobody's willing to walk away to prove the point but they keep hoping that other people will fight that battle for them and as i said before nothing changes unless somebody makes a sacrifice and nobody wants to make a sacrifice everybody wants to be win everybody wants to be a winner everybody wants to get paid and that's just not how it works so it's constantly frustrating to me to see this year to year week to week day to day it doesn't matter what fight camp's going on what fight event, what big event, what matchup. At some point, the issue of fighter pay comes up. At some point, the issue of the fighter value comes up. And they make all these vague statements, but nobody wants to take make a move necessary to spark the changes needed to help the fighters down the line. And it, it's just funny watching it. It never changes. It's just a countless cycle. And we've had this conversation before, and we'll have it again. But the only thing that's not going to change is the, how the fighters handle the situation. And it's just... It's just stunning to me. It's just stunning that it's been something that's going on for so long and they've made no headway into it. We're still where we were five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago. It's gotten no better. But the fighters keep showing up and they keep sacrificing their life and their time with their family and their health for what they call pennies on the dollar or slave wages or whatever they call it. 
even though I don't remember slaves getting wages. So whatever that means. But that's that that's the biggest thing that always stands out to me, this constant cycle of fighters being unhappy but not willing to do anything about it. It's like they're in an abusive relationship with the UFC and they won't leave because they just hope the UFC will come to its senses and stop cheating on them and treat them better. And it never happens. And we're the friends waiting by the like, come on, come with us. We'll get you a new career. We'll get you a new life. You deserve better. No, no, I can't leave the UFC. The UFC is going to do me right eventually. You just don't understand. I love the UFC. I can't give up on the UFC. I put too much time in the UFC. Well, eventually UFC is going to kick you out anyway. So you should come to your senses before it gets to that point. Very true. I, I think we're headed to a point where, I don't know, man. I think that this is the year where somebody pushes hard enough for the beginning, for the precursors of change. Do I think it'll be easy? No. I think it'll be a fight. Hell yeah. But I think we're headed to that point where we can begin to have those conversations. Because more and more people are kind of standing up and you're seeing what athletes and other sports are, are, are getting. These guys are getting smarter day by day. And I, I just think that it's going to get to a point where someone's going to begin standing up. And I think this is where we're, we're going to start to see some of those things happen. Well, somebody's going to have somebody's going to have to be willing to risk their career. Somebody's going to have to be willing to make the ultimate risk with their career. Nothing changes until somebody takes some huge risk. I don't know who's willing to take that risk. Everybody keeps re-signing with them. Who, who, who takes it? Everybody keeps re-signing. UFC's uh, terrible. Why did you just Why did you just re-up for a four-fight contract? Well, where else is there to fight? Are you trying to make change? Or are you trying to keep money in your pocket? It you have somebody has to make a change. You want better when, when issue with black people. Somebody had to somebody had to go to jail. Somebody had to get hosed. Somebody had to have dogs attack them. That had to happen for women to get better rights. Something had to happen for people to get caught and turn in predators and abusers. Someone had to make a sacrifice, and it seems like in fighting, nobody wants to make one. Everybody just wants to wait for somebody else to make one while they complain on the sidelines. I can't respect that, dude. I just can't. Because if this was a reg- if, this- if we knew a regular person who was always complaining about their pay, it was underpaid and didn't have health insurance and was getting screwed over, and they kept on complaining but wouldn't do anything, what would you do? You stop talking to that person. It'd be like, do something about it or shut up. But for some reason, everybody gives fighters these paths like, well, they're fighters. What does that mean, dude? You have a family. You have a girlfriend. You have a kid. Don't you need to make more money for them? I mean, if, if they're not paying you enough money, shouldn't you get a job where you can take care of them? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just looking at this from a real-life perspective, and real life doesn't, to, doesn't apply to those guys. Maybe that's what it is. True, true. Oh, man. This, I'm... I'm... Dying over here, dude. What else are you looking forward to this week? What are you working on for the fight fans? Let us know where we can find your content. Um, I'm gonna start right again. I, I've got a couple things I'm just working on. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start trying to. Well, the worst part about being an MMA fan is you never know what fight is gonna come off before someone gets injured. So it's almost impossible to write anything in advance over fights. So I think I'm gonna kind of explore fighters and potential matchups and kind of give some early analysis and early breakdowns on where somebody's trending. That seems a lot easier than making articles based on actual fights because every week someone comes out or gets hurt or pulls out or something happens or gets flagged by USADA and ends up canceling the fight. So you can't, you just can't, you can't depend on the card until you're at the event and the people are walking in the cage to actually fight. That's just how this sport works. But um, you can always find me on on a, at Black Jordan Breen on Twitter. Always talking mixed martial arts. Um, usually I make random threads about individual fighters, individual camps. Always want to answer any and all questions. And you'll start to see my stuff back on MMA ratings uh, probably in the next it next couple weeks, maybe the next month at the worst. Yeah, and I'm covering a bunch of stuff as usual. Um, some grappling this weekend. I'm going to look into covering and some uh, professional wrestling writing as well, but it should be a pretty low-key weekend as we head into next week's fight between TJ Dillashaw and Henry uh, Sahito, which we will preview on next week's episodes. Uh, Shawan, let them know where they can find our show every Thursday. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, FM Player, or uh, iTunes. Um, like I said, tell your friends about the content if you like it. If you have questions or comments, we actually love those. And any feedback you have, anything you want us to discuss in further depth or any t- topic you want us to revisit, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on the YouTube comments, hit us up on the SoundCloud, SoundCloud comments. 
we will we will gladly touch on anything you would like to hear from because we do it for you fans and we do the best show we can for you fans. So with that in mind, uh, everyone, I will talk to you next week. And me and Shawana will be back to cover the world of MMA in just about seven days. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you then. Have a great weekend, sir.